what I would say to anyone else who is interested in taking this path, I think mentorship is key. Talking to people who've been down this road, who've grown emerging franchise brands from the ground up. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here today with Joanna Zelenko. Joanna is the CEO of the Closet Trading Company. Welcome to My Company Story, Joanna. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let me tell the audience a little bit about your company, and then you can go into more detail. The Closet Trading Company is a luxury resale and consignment brand with five brick-and-mortar locations and an e-commerce platform. They specialize in the resale of authentic ladies' designer clothing and accessories. They started in 2003, 17 years ago, and just started franchising then in 2019, which I'd like to talk to you a lot about that. What a terrible time to start franchising, I would imagine. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Well, Joanna, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about your background and your company, if you can. Absolutely. Thanks, Don. So like you said, we've been in business 17 years. I started the first store back in 2003 in Santa Barbara. And when I say I started the first store, actually, it's a little bit of a misnomer. I helped someone start the first store. I went to Santa Barbara for college and in looking for a part-time job, my first week of freshman year, I came across a soon-to-be vintage boutique in a little alley in downtown Santa Barbara. And I was hired on to help this original proprietor opened the shop and I helped her get it all set up. We painted, we got some inventory, we built fitting rooms, opened the store, and then promptly her husband's job was relocated out of state. And so that was it. It was called The Closet originally, and that was going to be it. We were just a few months into opening our doors for the first time. And I was just kind of heartbroken. I felt like there was so much potential. I loved the whole concept of it. And with some encouragement from uh, family, my grandma in particular, I ended up taking over the shop at that point. That's remarkable. So let me get this right. You were a student at school. And what year were you in? When Were you a junior? A senior? Where, where were you in school? I started there my first week of freshman year. and I oh, That's wonderful. There. Did you finish your schooling there? How did you balance both school? And then you, you were running the, running the store while you're going to school, right? Yeah, I was with a lot of help from friends. I had my dorm mates and my roommates and friends working while I was in class. And I mean, it, it was like this little side hustle that we all had going on. And it was a lot of fun, actually. And it, it was a way to make a little extra money during school. At that time, we were in this tiny shop. It was called The Closet because it was so small. And it was in an alley behind McDonald's. So rent was so low. It was a way to be able to, you know, have a part-time job, make a little bit of extra cash, work with friends, and then it kind of ended up turning into a career. <laughs> so, so did it turn into a career then after you graduated, or did you know when you graduated, all right, I'm going to give this a real honest try and do this, or what were your thoughts upon graduation? So I graduated college with a degree in global studies, which, you know, it's a lot of theoretical knowledge and not right. a lot of practical skills. Right. <laughs> Graduated in 2007, just as we were about to head into the recession. And uh, yeah, I saw friends kind of struggling to find their place in the world coming out of college at that time. My degree wasn't necessarily applicable to a whole lot in the real world. And so I took a look around, realized that this little business 
it did generate some income. It was gaining popularity in the community. And I decided I would apply myself fully to it and give it a fair shot at being a, a real business. You're also, you're an entrepreneur right out of school. Go well, good for you. <laughs> did, did you then tell me about the, the, the owner of the, of the closet then originally, did you end up buying her out or she gave it to you or how did that transition work out? Yeah, I bought her out in those first few months, right when she moved. I didn't really have any money, uh, of course, but she did have a lease commitment. So I took over the lease commitment and that was kind of how we... So from then on, it was your, your baby then and you took it yeah. and ran with it. Good for you. <laughs> so then after those first few years, then you must have learned an awful lot about how to run a business and, and all of the ins and outs while you were in school. Tell us a little bit about those early days and how did you grow from there and when, when did you then start your second location? Yeah, so originally the closet was intended to be a vintage boutique. So uh, when we first started with the original owner, we would go down to their thrift stores in neighboring Ventura County, and we would find apparel accessories that we thought that had some value and we could resell. We're really focused on, on vintage pieces. And I grew up in San Francisco. That's where I'm from originally. And in San Francisco, we had a lot of contemporary resale shops when I was growing up. And I felt like a contemporary shop uh, would have maybe a little bit more traction in Santa Barbara because there is such a large college community and there are so many girls that have, you know, their dress from, there's high school girls who have their prom dresses to get rid of, there are college girls who want next season's jeans and are ready to part with last season's jeans and so forth. So we pivoted very early on away from vintage to contemporary resale and began buying directly from the public instead mm -hmm. of going down to the thrift stores and finding goods to resell. And changing the model to the buying and trading from the public was pretty instrumental in the growth of the business. And that's kind of, I think, what took us to the next step and what helped us gain interest and a little bit of more popularity in Santa Barbara. Now, did that happen while you were still in school or did that happen afterwards then? That happened right away. Right, right away. Yeah, I would talk to my friends and it was like, would you buy vintage stuff? They're like, yeah, but I would trade in my jeans for a new pair of jeans. Got it. So then that, that the light went off in your head and said, let's try this then. So you mm -hmm. ran with that business model then for a number of years then. Is that correct? Or how did that grow and, and expand then after, uh, after college? Yeah, so in 2008, a year after graduating, I opened a second location down in the Conejo Valley. And we were still, we still had the first little store in Santa Barbara in its original spot. And at that point, kind of thought the options were, well, we could expand the original store to a larger space, or we could find a way to rotate the inventory between two locations. And that seemed like a little bit of a better bet. So we opened another very small little store. It was originally in Westlake Village in another little kind of nondescript strip mall. And had those two stores for a while and then in the years after that moved the original SB store to a much larger more prominent Santa Barbara location we've moved it again since then and uh, Westlake Village moved to Agora Hills and then opened two additional stores in Santa Monica Woodland Hills and then now Plantation Florida in Florida now also yeah, the newer, newest one is in Florida, opening next month. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Congratulations on that growth. So mm -hmm. how, I mean, it, it must be really interesting. You have two challenges, it seems to me, that you have a challenge of getting the product in that's good enough to sell from people, and then, of course, finding customers to buy those products. Did, how did you work? How does that yeah. work? How do you deal with both those two things? Yeah, I think that one thing that worked to our advantage was that we grew so much during a recession, and... One thing that doesn't change in a recession is that everyone still wants to look good. 
the one thing that does change is uh, people, consumers potentially have a smaller budget. So um, consumers who maybe weren't open to shopping secondhand became more open to it. And consumers who previously had not considered uh, looking for an additional income stream by selling items from their closets became open to that. Got so it. it was advantageous in a way, the timing of it, that we grew during a, a period where um, necessity forced more open-mindedness. Right. That usually does that, doesn't it? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. That's <laughs> true. Joanna, tell us a little bit about, there, there are many different growth strategies. Why did you choose to expand through franchising? And tell us about that journey. Yeah. So in, I think it was 2009, 2010, uh, my team and I sat down, we started looking at, okay, what's... What's next? How are we going to grow? How are we really going to be able to grow beyond our region? And, you know, of course, one possible option is to grow organically with additional corporate stores, but that means a long time in between stores while you, you know, get the capital together, while you build the team, while you train the team, while you deploy the team. It's a longer more drawn out process. It's also very involved, you know, at, on our end, we're having to run back and forth between stores nonstop. You're really in, in the daily whirlwind of operations all the time. And then we started looking at alternative methods of expansion and franchising, I think right away, just seems so interesting because you get to have this partner to whom you can convey some of the, you know, hopefully wisdom and experience and lessons that you've learned in your time doing this exact same business. You help them get something off the ground, create income for themselves and their family, and also, it, you know, benefit from the experience that they bring to the table. So like our franchise partner and plantation both the husband and the wife that are involved with that business bring a tremendous amount of experience in marketing and finance respectively. And we're learning so much from them in opening this boutique. And as we continue to work with franchise partners that bring their own wealth of experience to the table, it enriches the whole brand. So yeah. that really attracted me to franchising as an expansion. Now let's talk about the timing of your franchises. I mean, 2019 obviously was going fine. Everything looked great. And then all of a sudden, March of 2020, everything goes to heck and a handbasket out there. I mean, how did you deal with this retail apocalypse that happened to the world? And here you're just starting the franchise and it's, and it's thousands of miles away from your corporate headquarters. I mean, how did you deal with all of that? And I wish I could say that I, you know, I looked into the future and knew it was all going to happen and planned it out this way. <laughs> it was more of just kind of trying to roll with the punches. And I think what has helped us to get through this challenge and continue to grow and continue with the franchise plans that we had in place before the pandemic was uh, expanding our offerings, both to the consumer and to the franchisees. So we during the time that our stores were closed by mandate here in California, we expanded our offering to e-commerce and we were able to build, I mean, the help of a tremendous team that just spent countless hours on it, built a really robust platform. And now we are able to offer this omni-channel experience to our customers who can shop the closet trading company in our stores. They can shop through our social media channels, and they can shop directly online. In addition to that, our franchise partners now get to enjoy the benefit this e-commerce revenue stream. So they are able to use our platform to sell goods from their store, which makes them more recession resistant. I wouldn't say anything is pandemic resistant, but it does allow for um, a little bit of a cushion, even in the most difficult times. 
That's great. And John, who do you look for when you go to choose a franchise partner? What kind of uh, partner do you look for, uh, for to help you out? Yeah, so what we're really looking for, because we are in the growth stages of our franchise, we're a developing franchise brand, we're looking for someone who really wants to put their stamp on something. So we're not looking necessarily for the same franchise partner that might be interested in a Subway or 7-Eleven where everything is going to be dictated. And, you know, your opinion as a franchisee may or may not matter, honestly. This is just a system, it's proven, you buy into it, and that's it. We're looking for a really collaborative approach. So we're looking for franchisees who are interested in working together to create a brand that we can all have pride in as we grow it. We're looking for individuals who have some uh, management experience, who are looking to um, pursue entrepreneurship in some form, but also want the security of a concept that has been proven for 17 years. So we're really looking for that dynamic individual. Right. So not not just the uh, Subway uh, franchise owner who's just, you know, plug you in and do all these things by the letter and you'll be successful. It's not like that at all. It's more like come in, bring your ideas, bring what you have to the table. Like it sounds like the couple in, in Florida is doing that with you right now. And that's an idea. It sounds like an ideal partner for you. Yeah, exactly. We will bring the technology to the table. We'll bring the years of experience, the training, the tools, and we hope from there to have a really collaborative approach to grow together. Now, Joanna, let's talk. I know on this on the on this show, uh, the audience likes to hear about the challenges that you have faced and, and how you've overcome them. Yeah. I would imagine one of the challenges just moving for into a new franchise model. I mean, how, was that a big challenge, and how did you overcome that? Yeah, moving into franchising has been a big challenge. It's a little bit tricky to balance the daily operations of the corporate stores with the franchise growth. There are also a whole plethora of new and fun legal requirements and regulations. Doing business in new states kind of brings with it a whole new bag of tricks as well. So we are learning to get through those mostly with the help I would say advisors and mentors. I think that has been the biggest lesson of expanding into franchising. And what I would say to anyone else who was interested in taking this path, I think mentorship is key. Talking to people who've been down this road, who've grown emerging franchise brands from the ground up and individuals who are willing to help, but also can help to navigate, like you said, avoid some of those pitfalls. Right, right. I mean, I, I, as you know, I mean, we talked a little bit before about the Visage model and the peer advisory board, and which is so valuable. I've seen in so many different entrepreneurs, you can't do it all yourself. You shouldn't, and you don't have all the answers. And why not ask someone else who's maybe in a, a different industry or doing what you're doing yeah. for advice? Boy, two, three, five, 12 heads are better than one. That's for sure. Absolutely. And if you can find someone who's already worked with, you know, key vendors in your space, or even has just experienced some of the same challenges. It just makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. I'm glad to hear you say that. What about things about selecting the right real estate? Does that also come up as a challenge sometimes, or how do you go about and, and handle that? Yeah, real estate has um, been an evolving challenge for us, and it's one that I, I'm grateful to say is a diminishing challenge in the sense that 10 and certainly 15 years ago, prime retail real estate was uh, much more scarce and landlords and property managers were more hesitant to, uh, to lease to a concept like ours. There was a stigma around secondhand that led some landlords to be a bit skeptical, especially in, in real prime grade A real estate. Now that vacancy rates are also 
I think more landlords are kind of understanding the concept of, of premium luxury secondhand as being really distinct from like a thrift store model. Our real estate opportunities have expanded and yeah. uh, that's been kind of the, the blessing in a way of, of the changing face of retail. Yep, I can imagine it changing quite a bit and continuing to change. Yeah. What, what do you see as the future challenges that you see coming down the road that are going to be facing you as we stay with this new normal that we have and or until we move out of it? I mean, what do you see coming down the road? Yeah, I think that um, the challenges continue to be to find ways to be relevant to the consumer as the consumer continues to have a shorter and shorter attention span. So I think finding ways to connect with the upcoming generation, um, it, it's a tremendous challenge. You know, the, the social channels that they're using change quickly. They're, uh, like I said, their attention span in of itself is brief. Their uh, customer service needs and expectations are different from previous generations. Their brand loyalty is certainly diminished. So um, finding ways to stay relevant and to um, maintain relationships with Gen Z consumers, I think, is, is really the challenge for us. As well said, I appreciate you saying that. What else may come to mind as we wrap up here? What other pieces of advice would you want to give to any other CEOs like you listening to this show or potential people thinking about getting into starting their own business like you did? What, what, uh, what words of wisdom would you like to pass along after your, your many years of trials and errors? <laughs> I don't know what kind of wisdom I possess, but I will say that I think that seeing the path of entrepreneurship as a continual set of adjustments, pivots, rather than some kind of journey to a destination is necessary in order to stay uh, passionate and to stay some version of satisfied or fulfilled in it. There is no destination, right? No matter you think you're going to get to the next stage, oh, I, once I open that third store, I've made it. Once I sell that first franchise, I've made it. You just keep pivoting, right? Now we have e-commerce. No, now it's the next thing and the next thing. So I think that trying to live in a place, accepting that it's always going to be the next thing and enjoying that is what kind of keeps it all fun and fulfilling. Boy, you said it well, accepting it and enjoying it. Those are two <laughs> takeaways that I think are important for everyone to know, especially anyone thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. You've got to realize that. So, yeah. well, great. Well, John, thanks so much for being on the show. Really a, a pleasure interviewing you. And we look forward to uh, following your success. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Eric. you. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.